This is the Partnership for the Arts talk show, where we talk art. Welcome to Where We Talk Art. This is your host, Victor Gartner, and today we have a guest who's an artist, and he does a wide variety of different types of art, including sculpture, drawing, painting. He's has authored a graphic novel. We are going to talk to him in just a moment. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us. As we explore the world of art. You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can find us on our new website at pftatalkshow.org. PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. All right, we are back, and as I said, we were talking to Don McCauley. And Don, welcome to Where We Talk Art. Thanks, Victor. It's a pleasure to be on the show. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, you know, before we get into your, your business and, and the types of art that you've been doing recently, I would like to get a little bit of your background so that our listeners have a better idea of who you are. Sure, All right. sure. So I, I know in your bio, you say that you... Uh, we're born and raised in Western New York State. Well, I was born and raised in downstate New York, Long Island, New York. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm familiar with the western part of the state because I went to State University of New York in Geneseo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which probably isn't too far from where you grew up. No, actually. My sister went to Geneseo. <laughs> yeah, great college. Oh, yeah. A very good college. Yeah. So what's the name of your town? Medina. Medina. Okay. You know... I was wondering, it's been so long since I've been there, I couldn't remember if it was Medina or Medina. Yep. Medina, and I can remember that we would look at the weather report in the morning, and they'd be talking about snow, and wouldn't you know it, Medina got hit with some serious snow, and it never got to Geneseo. <laughs> That's typical. We always got the nor nor'easters. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was, it, <laughs> I was born in a blizzard, actually. Oh, you were? Yes. Yeah. No. That's interesting. <laughs> no, I came home, uh, I think my mom said it was 8 to 10 feet of snow. Oh, 8 to 10 feet? Yeah. Not inches? No, feet. That That's some serious snow. How do yeah. you even get home with that kind of a storm? You know, I, I don't even remember. You don't remember? <laughs> it was your first day of Indeed. being alive. <laughs> So, what is what is the town of Medina like? Oh, there's not too many people. There's more cows than there are people, and uh, it's quite hilly. And um, you know, it's nice. It's a nice little town. Nice place to be from. You know, everybody. Everybody knows you. Can't get into too much trouble just because of that reason. Um, but no, actually, my uh, my parents uh, relocated back there. After, from where? From from here. So <laughs> no, we did. Yeah, we did a reverse. Uh, moved down here. Uh, I started college down, or I'm sorry, started high school down here, and then uh, after after I finished college in '08, they bought a place right back in in between Rochester and Buffalo. Uh, actually, uh, just a town over in Lockport. Oh, I've been to Lockport. Yeah. 
<laughs> so you may have met my parents at one point and may have, you know, uh, shopped at my father's businesses a couple of times. Uh, and, uh, what kind yeah. of businesses does he have? Oh, uh, over the course of his lifetime, I think he owned some 50 some odd businesses. He was a business flipper, essentially. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so he would, uh, he would go in and, uh, for the most part, either take failing businesses or businesses that just, uh, weren't profitable and flip them. Hmm. Knew, knew what to put in and, uh, was a good businessman. And, uh, that's where I learned some of my business savvy from. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. That explains it. <laughs> okay. On the job training. Exactly. You, you probably know. worked for him. I did. On? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, worked, uh, worked for him, uh, worked for my brother and finally realized that I wanted to become an artist after working for my brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to read between the lines there. Does that mean I am so sick of working for this guy? I've got to do something else. <laughs> I, I didn't want to be an appliance salesman. I didn't want to repair appliances. I gotcha. knew I knew I knew the work, and I and I could do it. Um, I could go back into it, and you know, tomorrow, and pretty much be right right on par with everybody else. Uh, but it just wasn't my passion. All right. Well, yeah. One needs to have passion. Indeed. Now, you said that when you were a kid that you had lots of forest around you and fields and you had this sense of wonderment and at the same time, a little bit of like dread maybe. Yeah. Okay. What what does that mean? Uh, All right. So, um, no, I, you know, we, uh, we had a house in the top of a hill. Uh, we were seven miles outside of town, and uh, my closest neighbor was a farmer, and mm-hmm. uh, he had quite a few acres. Uh, and my other, my other closest neighbor was another farmer. He had the same thing. So uh, it was a pretty, uh, pretty isolated area, and um, we had lots of woods. Um, we had seventeen acres, and uh, you know I had pretty much free range of that and any of the uh, farmland around me. So it was, you know, it was interesting because it was, it was a beautiful place to grow up in, um, surrounded by nature. I, I would wish that on everybody to, mm. to, to just be in that place, um, because you do get a, a nice sense of connection to the earth. You know, yes. there's, there's just so much that's lost when we exit nature. Um, you know, just going into a city, I hadn't, I'd never seen a city of more than, you know, bigger than Buffalo. I'd never, you know, I'd, I'd spent 14 years in New York and I never went to New York city. Never, you know, it was just, it was funny. Um, so I was pretty isolated little kid. Uh, but the, the dread that I talk about, it's, it's that isolation, you know, it's, it's a twofold thing. It's yeah, it's beautiful and it's quaint, but there's nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. And that nothing can kind of get to you. And you you, you feel that almost uh, cabin fever isolation in the winter months. But I love the winter months. Oh, you did? I do, yes. No, and I you still uh, do? I still do. You know, it's, it's there's something about that sound. It's just so quiet and everything's muffled. It's very peaceful. Even keel. Yeah. can't hear anything. When there's snow on the ground, it, it can absorb a lot of sound waves. It and does. It does become so much more quiet. Yeah. No, and that was something that I really didn't notice until I left. And mm-hmm. uh, I wish I'd been able to enjoy it for a little bit longer. 
Yeah, I can understand that. You know, and so many people who've never been to New York State, and and that means beyond the greater New York City metropolitan area, have no idea how much open land there is for agriculture, and oh, yeah. dairy farms, and fields of corn, and 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 mountains, and whatever. Yeah, yeah, indeed. You know, there is it, it's it's surrounding the entire Western New York, um, and that is. Uh, it's it's a beautiful place. One of my favorite places is Letchworth State Park. Oh, gorgeous. Which has this beautiful canyon that goes through it. And uh, some people refer to it as the Grand Canyon of the East. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that it's anywhere like the Grand Canyon, but it <laughs> is a beautiful canyon. Yes. In your uh, biography, you say that you try to create an experience rather than just something to look at. And I can relate to that, but could you explain for our listeners in your mind what that means? Sure, sure. Um, so one of the funny things that uh, that I, it's almost a juxtaposition. I grew up and I poured over my mother's art books. My mother was an artist and uh, wanted to go to college for art. She did for a year, and then uh, she met my father and <laughs> history the rest from there. Is history, yes, right. Um, so I poured over, you know, the Jansen book and, um, some others. And on the flip side, at that point, my parents had owned a video store. I was severely, severely immersed in videos because as a kid, that's what we do. You know, you're you're just consuming media and I couldn't understand how we went from this beautiful Renaissance style art. And in 500 years, it's developed into movies and and other types of media to ingest. So when I say experience, I'm specifically talking about this experience of art. I think art is an awesome experience, but going to look at art is painfully boring for me. Oh, really? Yeah. That surprises me. I don't typically enjoy museums, but I enjoy the potential that can be found in the museum. I I enjoy the potential that can be found in art. A static image doesn't really hold much capture for me, or doesn't capture much for me. Mm. I, I enjoy creating it, but going and actually viewing it. I'd rather watch something that moves or be able to find some kind of experience in that still picture rather than taking it at face value i would like to be able to imagine myself within the image imagine myself rather than a viewer or observer an experiencer of that scene all right in some of my own work um and i do do still a lot of still pictures so (laughs) when i when i uh you know poo poo museums i don't i I try and not do it too much because I know I, I would like people to view my artwork as well. Um, but what I do differently is, is I'll put little nuggets of information or little clues or cues as to what might actually be going on beyond the scene that I'm depicting. So you get more of a whole whole world picture of why I produce this work. Could you give us an example of a piece that you've done and feel as though you successfully accomplished what you just said you were trying to do? Oh, hmm. 
So I've got this piece called The Door in the Forest. And I did that uh, mid-2011. I felt that that really captured um, my experience of playing in the in the, the natural, in the nature around us um, when I was little. So, you know, I would put in a little, you know, a little insect or um, in this particular one, it was just the way the wood interlaced in the door pattern just reminded me of steps going down into this deep, dark place. So, and that's the sense of dread that I get from that isolation mm-hmm. in nature. Right. Yes. Just recently, I've been thinking about the type of art that I do, and some of it really captivates people's attention because of the really high detail that's in it. Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, one of my pieces is the Millennium Falcon, and it's filled with detail. And people look at it and they go, oh, my God. How did he do that? You know, that kind of a thing. So I, I love that kind of reaction where they're they're willing to spend you know a minute or two looking at the piece. Exactly. So I have absolutely no interest in doing horses, dogs, um, oh, flowers, uh, people that I don't know. Just you know, like the average Joe walking down the street. I, but. If it was a person who was homeless and really looked as though they'd been outside weathered for 20 years, I'd say, that says something. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly what I'm going for, too. There's something more than being able to take it at face value. Um, I believe Banksy said that it, the amount of time that you should spend on a piece is the amount of time that somebody looks at it or observes it. So, you know, if you're looking at a piece for 30 seconds... Okay, well, you know, the artist may have spent hours and hours and hours. hours for sure. Oh, yes. for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I saw that Millennium Falcon piece of beautiful work. So. Thank you. Uh, scalpel? <laughs> exacto? Exacto. Yes. Indeed. Oh, that's the only way to do scratch board is an exacto. And it's that precision. Um, but no, it, you know, that, that struck me a while ago when I read that, uh, you know, you shouldn't spend any more time than it does for somebody to observe it. And I said, wow. How can you produce anything of value? But it's all leading up to that. You know, I did a, uh, I did a collaborative class with uh, Whitney Stetler of Coco Yoga Cafe today. I did see a flyer about that, that it was happening. Yeah, so uh, it's, actually it was a very nice class. And what we did, uh, I treated it <clears throat> as a gesture-drawn class. So in between poses, it was, all right, let's get up and move you know, five or six feet and we'll get another different, you know, beyond just the pose, but a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So, and it was nice and it was a very good collaborative class and students enjoyed it and might have a new student to join the art center. And Excellent. <laughs> Got to go out and push the mission. A dues paying member, we hope. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> very good, actually, and very good artist too. So. Uh, good. You are the founder, owner, Operator of Synthetic Ghost Industries. That's a very unusual title. It draws up images in my mind of polyethylene ghosts or something. (laughs) I don't know what that means. But explain to us what 
your business is. Sure. Okay. So it's a uh, full uh, design and fabrication studio. And I chose the name because uh, my last position as a, uh, as a marketing director, I was putting some work in with the uh, patent office. And the patent attorney that I was speaking to said, you know, you really got to have a good snappy name. That's going to, you know, put, that's going to put your work into a pipeline and people are just going to remember it and say, okay, it's this person. All right, let's move this through and we'll get it going. Wow. Yeah. So that was... It's so uh, catchy that once they, they read it, they'll remember it five years later. Oh, I remember something. Exactly. I've gotten so many questions and so many just what do you do? I, I can't understand the name. You know, it's not, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's not, Hey, pools are us. <laughs> Obviously exactly. they do pools. You're right. <laughs> the businesses that, that you are doing business with, what are, what are they wanting you to do for them? Oh, sure. Uh, so I've got a number of businesses that I work with. Uh, I've got restaurant tours. Uh, I worked, did some work for the, uh, national wildlife federation just recently. Um, so the restaurant tour, uh, do some graphic design work, uh, some basic web, uh, social media management. And, uh, right now he's, uh, starting a new restaurant and, uh, I'm getting some of the nice paintings and some other accoutrements for the restaurant, uh, all set up, ready to go for him. And it's going to be in downtown Welland Park. Excellent. Ooh, that's a good thing that we could talk about right after this break. This is B.A. Wyckoff, artist, and I listen to Where We Talk Art. We are back, and before we took the break, we were talking with artist Don McCauley, and he was telling us about some work that he's been commissioned to do over at a new development, a really fast-growing development in northern end of Northport, Florida, called Wallen Park. And so you said you were doing some work for restaurants. Which which restaurants have commissioned you? Uh, if, if you're uh, sure. To say yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I work with the Off the Wagon Restaurant Group, uh, which owns uh, currently Off the Wagon, uh, Irma's, Tacos. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was Barrel and Bean uh, at one point. But no, the uh, new place that he's setting up, Volani and Company. Gonna be a nice uh, high-end steak eatery, nice steakhouse. Mm. So Chicago-style steakhouse. Okay, I did see something about that coming to Island Park, Chicago-style steakhouse. Yes. Yeah. All right. It's gonna be it's uh, it's gonna be a big place. It's uh, beautiful, beautiful work. He's got. Uh, I'm I'm in with him right now, uh, looking over uh, some of the building material, and uh, he's got some gorgeous tile going in and then we're going to put up some wonderful artwork inside anything out of the usual 2d stuff sure actually this one is uh he commissioned was abstract so i don't typically do abstract most of my artwork is representational so this is a nice nice change of pace i get to kind of go out and have a little bit more fun and a little bit more freedom with uh some some bigger art pieces we've got uh three three by three foot paintings and three eight foot by eight foot paintings going in there eight foot by eight foot yes yeah. <laughs> that'll be my largest work yet wow that 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 is large yes okay that's that's museum work exactly yeah no definitely uh 
definitely rivals some of the uh, pieces at Ringling in size. Any 3D work? No 3D work for him. Uh, recently, I did some building renders before the building was put up. Uh, that was done in uh, Cinema 4D and Octane Render. Yeah, you have a good handle on technology as it relates to uh, 3D art. How did you ever get started in that? I am part of the 80s babies, uh, and yes. we grew up with technology. Uh, I remember the internet being introduced in 93 publicly uh, through AOL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I spent many hours. You've got on, mail. <laughs> indeed. I spent many hours <laughs> listening to that sound. Uh, and it really, te- I kind of just grew up with technology as part of uh, my family's uh run of businesses. My mom was the bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. I always hung out with her a lot. So I got to play on the computer when she was done. I remember, you know, those very first few video games that were done on the computer, Doom, Wolfenstein, some very early games that maybe I probably shouldn't have been playing at the time. But <laughs> yeah, because I'm significantly older than you, Don, I want you to know that early games were Pong <laughs> And tank. <laughs> and I remember those as well. <laughs> no, I was uh, mostly with the uh, Nintendo. So mm-hmm. I was grew up, grew up uh, you know, as an 80s baby. Uh, we, we were introduced to Nintendo first. And part of uh, my parents' businesses, uh, we had uh, console and game rentals and movie rentals and that was what I would consumed as a child. So, oh, you had access to all those games. I had a- access to any video, any video game that I wanted to watch or play. So, oh, weren't you popular? <laughs> <laughs> I was. No, it. Uh, and you know that was it, a lot of my formative years uh, were spent with with that type of media, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how that's kind of influenced me. Um, I try every once in a while and step outside myself and, and view myself from from that distant observer and say, you know, what is what am I doing? Am I, you know, am I going in the right direction? Do I want to produce this type of work or do I want to do that? Um, so with a lot of the formative year um, media consumption, I really looked at what I wanted to do almost through the eyes of a filmmaker or through a a uh, video game producer because it was that was just so much of my life um you know i wanted to be that um the boy in the never-ending story or sure. you know uh link in in a legend of zelda you know it was just being able to go out and have an adventure that mm-hmm. was that was really what I, what kind of compelled me as a as a child so i really put a lot of that type of imagery and themes and just that fantasy aspect into my work. Did you ever think that you were going to go from the canvas or or the computer screen for, to do art into programming and creating games? So that's, <laughs> yes, actually, that's what I'm working on now. Oh. So not only... Uh, and not only did I do uh, some of that 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 earlier work um, and put in all those hours into video games, but I really, really kind of began to understand what a computer was for and how I could use it as a tool. 
And that was, I think, one of my biggest boons as an 80s baby was that that synergy with technology. Um, I use it every day in my life, every single day. I mm. get up and I get on the computer, but it's not in the same way that most other people would. I don't think this is going to make my day easier. This is, I'm not going to go in and, and just type out everything in my Excel spreadsheet or in, you know, in my document. I'm really, I really want to utilize the computer as a tool to create art. Right. And I really want to utilize those items that I have through that to be able to bolster the traditional techniques that I've learned through Ringling and kind of just force it into a new, a new avenue almost rather than NFTs and typical video games or movies. It's, what else can we do with this? What can we do that hasn't been done? So it's taking those traditional and marrying the technological with it and saying, what else? Where is this innovation coming from? And okay. really getting to the core of it. All right. So, now, do you think you've succeeded in something recently that you've created that reflects this philosophy? Uh, every day I feel like it's a step towards the right direction. You know, I don't necessarily have a clear path and I don't necessarily have a clear destination, but it's in each little step, it's, I know I'm getting closer to my, to my ultimate, my penultimate goal. Excellent. So Very good. I understand that you are producing sculptures, not by forming clay, but you're using 3D technology to produce something that in your mind you have created. Mm -hmm. So how does it go from your mind to something that you take out of a 3D printer? <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, that's been part of the journey. Um, you know, as a, uh, as a classically trained artist, I, we did work with Photoshop. We did work with Corel Painter. Um, but I didn't get into the, to the hard 3D aspects. You know, I didn't, I, that was pushed by myself. I pushed myself uh, in earlier years with uh, Rhinoceros 3D and um, some CAD programs, some other types of CAD programs. Now more recently with uh, Cinema 4D. With that and the marrying of the different technologies, it was how can I make this work with a traditional aspect? I love traditional drawing. I love that you could be a 15-year-old kid and be able to get it and be a 95-year-old man and be able to get it, but you're still working towards the same goal of this image that you have in your mind, but you can still pick up little techniques here and there and be able to bolster your skill set with you know, something little here or something little there. And how that plays into technology is, is that I'll utilize something that maybe necessarily isn't what it's meant to be for. Uh, so, so with the 3D work, I'll start with the typical drawing. All right. Traditional. 2D on paper. From there, I'll say, all right, what do I need to do to make this a turnaround? 
obviously it has to go in 3D, so I need to look at it from every angle. When you say a turnaround, do you mean so that you can rotate it and and see what it looks like from all all sides? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you typically we need a front, a back, and if if the right and left side are symmetrical, fine. Then we'll do a right side. If they're not symmetrical, then we'll do a right and a left side view. So and that's again traditionally done pencil and paper then i'll go in and i'll do a color study mm -hmm. say all right maybe this piece doesn't have color let's jump right into the 3d work um, some of the uh, really exciting stuff that i'm doing now uh, zbrush zbrush is an interesting program so zbrush is basically a digital ball of clay really <laughs> That's very interesting. So just like a traditional clay sculpture where you, you know, you start, you've either got a handful of clay or you've got your uh, armature set up. Um, it's almost exactly the same in digital work. So you're going to end up starting out with your digital ball of clay. But instead of your hands, you're going to be using a stylus and a graphics tablet. So. I've got my trusty Wacom tablet. I love it. Love the Wacom products. Love the Adobe products. Love the Corel and all the uh, others. But you're just pushing pixels. Okay. So by using a stylus and you moving it away from the center of the object, you're pulling the clay. Exactly. And then if you want to make something narrow such as let's say a person you do its, its head and then you'd have to do the neck somehow you're pushing the pixels together to the center line exactly right thinking of it as a uh almost a like a graphing calculator and each one of those points in uh is combined uh actually is uh not combined joined with the other points and they form a polygon so mm -hmm. you've got essentially the same thing like uh, with GPS you've got that those three coordinates and then you've got that polygon joining those three coordinates and essentially you've got you know 8,000 points or you've got 16 points and they'll form a sphere or they'll form this amorphous blob and eventually you'll just push them together or pull them apart and you've you know you get your artwork or you can go into it more technical and plot out each point you can start with you know obviously everything starts with primitives so you've got your cubes and your spheres and whatnot you can join them that way very much like a CAD program but I enjoy it a lot it's a lot of fun yeah I could I could see that I mean I can't see myself doing it because <laughs> I am not gifted at the computer but that's the thing is, is that you don't have to be some of the tools now um, are very, very, very well adapted to those artists by the non-artist types, by the programmers themselves, because they realized they talked so much with the artists and they took so much criticism and they worked so long. Uh, some of these programs have been out for 20 plus years. So they really have honed in their skill set to be able to help the artists without having to push the technology on the artist. So I think you could probably jump right into ZBrush and have no issue whatsoever. But the only way I'm going to actually be able to have a representation that can be held and touched is I need a 3D printer then, right? Exactly. 
right, so what do you do with all this digital work? Yeah, I've got gigs and gigs and thousands of files of, of these, these shapes. So what do I do then? And that was the thing. 3D printers have been around for 40, 50 years. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in the 80s, they were 50-some thousand dollars. Even today, they're still $50,000. But you can go out and get one for 200 bucks from Amazon. Hmm. Um, and that's the cool thing is, is that you get that physical representation of a digital object. There's some caveats, though, because unless your model is watertight, you'll end up getting something that just comes out as a blob because it's not... <laughs> It's not going to form correctly, either by the printer's printing capabilities or you have to tinker with a printer. You know, I've got uh, one of my printers is an FDM printer and prints out just a blob of plastic. It's, all it is is a printer head that just moves back and forth and up and down and prints out a blob of plastic. Well, that couldn't have been too encouraging. No, that was my first experience. I had set it all up. I was ready to get this beautiful print out. And I came back after 14 or 15 hours, which is a typical, typical time. Wow. And it was a, just a big mess. <laughs> so okay. there's a, a heavy learning curve with 3D printers. But you, can't, you can't press undone? No, Undo no. Or whatever. <laughs> Get it all back into a string. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other part of it. No, unfortunately not. And then you can even, with some of them, you'll get, hey, it's 12 hours in. It's 99%. The power goes out and boom, oh. you've lost it all. So you, you know, you end up with a half a head or <laughs> missing oh. a finger or whatnot. So it's, it's then it's taking that post-processing and being able to really take those pieces and join them together. That's the fun part. Uh, it sounds to me like it still takes a lot of skill and talent to do this. <laughs> it doesn't sound simple to me. No, but I'll no. take your word for it that, that even a person that, is not well-versed in computers and was born in the generation uh, a little bit too early for that, perhaps, can learn this, perhaps. Indeed, indeed. All right. Now, before we end, I want to bring up something. I, I didn't realize until just yesterday that, that you have authored a graphic novel. And, and there might be others besides that. I don't know, but this one was called... Constellations. Yes. Uh, so that's a novel that I've been working on. I haven't even released it yet. I've got one part out on Google Play Books. It was put out about five to ten years ago and probably should be pulled back in and reviewed. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. No. It, uh, I've got a couple things going. So that one's been a project that's been in the works for around 11 years now. No. Okay. <laughs> that's a long time. But it's 1,200 pages. <laughs> right now stands if I if I were to able if if I were to release it today it would be the longest graphic novel ever by about 500 pages. Wow. Yeah, cuz my idea of a graphic novel is like, you know, 30 40 pages. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And that's just one scene in mine. You know, you might have a 30 or 40 page scene. But you might I'm that, speechless. <laughs> That was the other part of the media. That was part of the media consumption was is not only the movies and the video games, but it was graphic novels. Yes. The 90s were the goal, another golden age, just like the 50s and 60s for, the, for graphic novels. Right. And I say it as golden age because the cartoons and all that 
mm-hmm. that were just filling those those minds, those young minds, and it was just beautiful work. Uh, you had uh, Romita Jr., um, Mark Silvestri, Todd McFarlane, Spawn. You know, these are some amazing, amazing works that were put out in the '90s, and I said, "Hey, those guys can do it. I can do it too." All right. We have here at the Where We Talk Art program a previous host who founded this show by the name of Dave Bice. Okay. And he was working on his graphic novel off and on, probably way more off than on for quite a while because, you know, he, he was working full time and he's married and whatever. So it, it kind of took a backseat. But then a few years ago, he just went great guns. Yeah. And he, he finally got it published. Wow. Yeah. So I am very happy for him. And he's, and he's looking at uh, his next project. He's really working hard at it. And, and I tell you, he devoted so much time to his project. I'm, I'm very impressed by how tenacious he was and how proud I am of him that he, he completed this long-term project instead of saying... Oh, maybe I should just give it up. No, he never did. No, that you know, and that's that's awesome because it's you've got that in you, and you, you know, why hold it in you? Why not let it out and mm-hmm. and let it be known to everybody? There are so many things that that served as inspiration for me that I wish I could go and go back to some of those artists, some of those early artists that uh, I looked at their work and just say thank you. Yes. Just, you know, thank you. I, I looked at this piece and this really pushed me to be an artist or this really, you know, pushed me to be this type of person because of art. So that's the power of it. You know, it's it's not only something that you can do, but it helps people. That's the power of art is that inspiration and that innovation and just giving somebody a lifeline sometimes. I agree 100%. And that's a very good thought for us to end on, I think, Don. Indeed. Indeed. Don, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to come here to Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, where we do the recording of Where We Talk Art. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's always nice to talk to nice people. <laughs> very much pleasure to speak with you as well, Victor. Listeners, thank you so much also to you folks, because I know you are equally busy out there in your lives, and yet somehow you managed to find time to listen to where we talk art, and I appreciate it very much. Until we meet again, folks, be well. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 